has come around the world. You know, we're singing as we're sitting down there, we were singing um, the worship songs that are very appropriate. We were singing another story in Acts where Peter and John are going to the temple. Uh, they're going to pray, it says, and they come and they, 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 there is a, a beggar there who, who can't walk. And uh, he, he asked them for money. He asked them for silver and gold. And they reply, they say, we don't have any silver and gold, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he got up and walked. And he began to, to dance around and stuff. And I thought, you know, there was still as much power in the name of Jesus to change people's lives, circumstances and situations tonight as it was when that was spoken. You know, in the words that we sung there, they're not sung just because they're nice words that rhyme with each other. We sing them because we really do believe there's power in the name of Jesus. Uh, and whatever circumstances or however you've come into church tonight, he says, you know, Jesus can change your life tonight in an instant, just in, in a moment. He says he, he, he can do what Peter and John did that day when they were there in the temple a couple of thousand years ago where they just prayed and says in the name of Jesus and that statement in itself just changed this man enabled him to get up and walk and whatever your circumstances tonight he says listen we're not coming with good religious advice tonight we're not coming with something that makes you feel better we just simply want to point you to Jesus because he's the one that can really change your life He's the one that can really change your circumstance and your situation. And so I've just got to pray and then we're going to get in, in, into the word. And Father, we thank you tonight. Thank you as we gather in your house with your people. Thank you for the precious, wonderful name of your son, Jesus. He really does change people's lives. There still is power in the name of Jesus. There really is no other name that men can be saved other than that wonderful name of Jesus. Father, as, as we come to your word tonight, we pray once again because we believe here that it's a living word. It changes us and it challenges us and it encourages us because it's your word. And Father, would you just do that tonight for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Started a new sermon series for the summer this morning called The Power of Don't. And we looked at the Galatians where Paul gives some instructions to the church there that encourage us. Uh, and really the key for what he was saying was that don't give up. You know, don't become weary in doing good. Don't be deceived with the three points that he was making. You know, the problem with reading the Bible sometimes is you have to put into practice what you read. That's always a great challenge, isn't it? Because there are parts of the Bible we read, and depending on what we're going through at that particular time, we look at it and think, oh, do I really have to apply that? Do I really need to put that into practice in my life? Christian life is a very demanding life. Even with our new nature and the power of the indwelling spirit of God, we sometimes find ourselves swimming upstream against the current of this world. It's impossible to do without God in our life. It's impossible to do without the power of his spirit in work in us. And so that's why tonight we, we come and the theme of this is don't be overcome. And uh, Paul writes another letter to the church in Rome, to Romans. Uh, and it's a clear example of putting into practice 
what, what he writes, what, what we read. Uh, because he spends the first 11 chapters of Romans speaking great theological truth, with, which we need. It's the foundation of the application of, of our lives. You know, we don't just read it and then think, oh, well, I'll have it. this is the foundation. The word is the foundation of why we do what we do. But then in chapter 12, he starts to be right about how you apply the truth that, that you've learned, how you apply those truths, how it changes your life. Uh, and, you know, if you belong to God, you know, there's a way that God wants you to live. And we talked about it this morning, that sometimes that's challenging. You, you need the power of God. And when God, you know, the, when the word tells us to forgive those who've hurt us, to bless our enemies, uh, you know, to do the challenging things in life. It's impossible to do that without God at work in our life. You know, we can't do it in our own strength. We're not supposed to do it in our own strength. Uh, but God gives us a challenge of this is how that, that, that we're supposed to live. And this is where this theme comes in of the power of don't. And in this passage we're going to read in Romans 12, there were seven verses, the, the words are going to come before you. Paul gives six do nots. And he gives that as a, 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 an application for those that are reading it to say, look, this is how you live your life. It's not just about what you have here. It has to transfer down to here. And then the real challenge is it has to transfer out here with people. And, you know, and, and you, know, you ever find this? I thought this because I thought, you know, being a pastor would be easy if you didn't have to deal with people. It would be brilliant. It would never be a problem. And you probably think that in your Christian life as well, you know. It'd be so easy to be a Christian if you didn't have to deal with people. Wouldn't that be good? We'd just turn around. Some of you are like that. We wouldn't even never have to deal with people. But God uses people, doesn't he? He uses each other to mould us and shape us and change us into the people that he wants us to be. He says, because that's what happens. As we've shared this many times before, there would never be another circumstance or situation where we would be in the same place together. You know, we're all from different backgrounds, we're from different countries, some of us, we're from different places, with different education, you know, with different intellect, we work at different jobs. We're just so different. And yet, the combining thing that brings us all together is Jesus Christ, he's just him. Uh, and so that's a bit that we have to work out. Because Jesus brings us all together, there is nothing that can't be worked out with each other if we keep him as the centre. That's the truth of it. You know, because we take the Bible and we apply it, and he is the centre of that, then that's true. See, I can't do it in my own strength, and neither can you. But with him as the common theme and the common person that unites you and me together, we can do that. And this is what Paul is talking about when he writes... Uh, these words have come before us in Romans 12. And these are challenging. We're not so pretending they're not. They are. They're challenging. This is the way we live our lives. And Romans 12, 14 to 21 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So it's in all of those verses. We could take almost a, a, a sermon on each of those do nots, because there's six of them there. And just in these seven verses, Paul gives us, the, Paul gives us six do nots. The first one is this, do not curse. The second one is do not be proud. The third one is do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Do not take revenge. And do not be overcome by evil. Now I think Paul writes all of this because, and we're not looking for hands here, but I'm sure there's one of those, if not two of them, or if you're like me, six of them, that are probably you could relate to at some point in your life. So we don't need, you know, to, if, they, if, they, if you've never been affected by any of them, listen, I'll sit down there, you come up here and preach tonight, and you tell us how you did now. But I would imagine preaching every one of us, there's all some of those that we would look at and say, yeah, that, that has crossed my path. Not just as a non-Christian, nah, but as a believer as well, <gasps> as a Christian, oh yes. And so that's a challenge that we face when Paul writes this to the church here. A practical application of the truth that we read. If you only ever read the first 11 chapters of Romans, it's tremendous. I mean, it's theological truth after theological truth that you would say amen to. But Paul has his tendency then to move to the application and says, this is how you work this out. This is how you work this through. And so Paul here in his letter mentions many specific Christian duties, but love is the overwhelming dominant theme because this is the church together. And he paints a picture of the Christian life for us as followers of Jesus should be seen as those who love and take care of each other in powerful and self-sacrificing ways. That's how we know here. And see, so with this mindset, it goes to the point that we will even do good to our enemies and those who don't like us and sometimes those we don't like looking for the most practical ways that we can help them you see the normal human instinct if we were honest is to do the opposite of what Paul is saying when we're hurt we want to lash out and hurt people but when somebody does something on us, we want to take revenge on them in a particular way. We want to pay them back, particularly if they've hurt us. We want them to feel a little bit of what we're feeling. Uh, and so when Paul writes all of this, we relate to all of this. This is where we are at as believers. So what's the help that he gives us here? If that's the normal human instinct, because he's writing this to people who are much like us. We're on this journey of life. And he gives us these things that we need to do, but also the things that we mustn't do either, the do not, for there's a consequence of it. And we will look at some of the consequences, because this is where the power of don't is at its most effective, when we choose to live and do a different thing. And it's the thing that God calls us to do. Not to do these things, but what he tells us to do. But listen, that's tough. 
Let's not pretend tonight that that's hard. Let's not pretend I'm going to stand here and tell you, listen, these are the three easy steps to do this. That person who's irritated you for years, that person who hurt you in the past, that person that gets right on your nerves and you're thinking of somebody now. And yeah, I know you are. That's not a word of prophecy, that's just human instinct, like. You could be thinking of two people. If you're thinking of three people, you need prayer afterwards in the room, okay? Because that's the reality of it, as where we are, uh, as people. Uh, and, and, you know, and so Paul writes this, and he says, Nothing communicates sincere love back to a brother or sister who is being hurtful than doing good for them and refusing to strike back at them. It's what sets us apart as believers. Even Jesus says, you love just the people that love you. What's difficult about that? But it's loving the people that you don't like, and it's loving the people that don't like you, and it's loving the people you don't want to do things for because you're thinking, they, they don't deserve this. He says, but actually, that's a reality of where we're at as believers when we do this. And so it tells us that we live in harmony. But to live in harmony, we require humility. I could preach a whole sermon on humility because it's one of those things that, uh, somebody has described it like this, because when you're humble, it's thinking of yourself, not as uh, with low self-esteem and all of that, but not thinking of yourself more than you should. You know, and it, this idea of humility is that, you know, people say, well, I, I'm a humble person. The minute you think you're humble, you've lost your humility, haven't you? It's like if somebody says, you know, what's your spiritual gift? Well, I'm humble. <laughs> That's me, I'm humble. If you said that, you'd be like, well, no, you're not, because you've just described that the gift you have is humility. You know, if I said to you, well, I'm actually I'm proud of being humble, that doesn't make any sense, but that's the thing that works. That actually thinking of yourself less or not thinking of yourself more than you should be, because Paul says that's the key to the harmony. Now, I can't sing a note, as you well know, it says, it's not my particular gift. But I do know that when somebody sings, uh, if they sing in harmony, it says, it's a lovely sound, isn't it? Somebody who sings, you know, for me, if I could sing in tune, that would be enough. But I can't sing in tune. But somebody who sings in harmony, there's just that lovely sense of crossing over, just being the sound that people want to hear, just something that joins everything together. And Paul says, well, this is what you do as the people, everybody comes together and we live in harmony. We, we, we live in peace with each other. That's a tough thing to do sometimes. That's a challenge for us to do. He says, Paul's instruction is this, we shouldn't be proud, we shouldn't be conceited, and we shouldn't be unwilling to associate with people of low position. Now, this was important in the church that they were writing to. Uh, because one of the reasons that the Christian faith attracted so many people in Rome is that it was open to everybody of a certain class. You know, we talk today about maybe the working class or the middle class or the upper class. Uh, and so that what happened here in the church is uh, it appealed to people because all the different classes came together. Everybody came together. There was nobody that was better than anybody else. Uh, and it appealed to the women because the women were second-class citizens, but in church they weren't. They were equal or together with everybody. And so at that time, so that has transferred itself on today. So when we throw open the doors of church while we are here, there's no class here. 
not there's no class as in you know what I mean we just do but there's no class there's no we don't look at people and say well they don't belong here because you know they don't look right or, or they don't behave right or, or, they, or they don't have the church etiquette that we might talk about matter of fact we don't really care we've got to that point in so we don't care we want people to come in because they've got baggage but there, there's no class but this is what happens it says people would associate said associate yourself with people of a low class, those people that you wouldn't normally associate with. Because we can all tell stories sometimes of people going to churches and they're not welcome in those churches because of certain things, the things maybe they would wear or the way they would be dressed or things that they would have on their bodies or any other thing that we could turn around and people would suggest they're not really welcome here. And they don't say it by their words, but they say it by their actions. Or they say it by their seats and church sometimes when people have, we don't have this now, but we used to have where people had their seats and you know, that was their seat. They'd sat in it since 1948 and that was it. You, some of you know what I'm talking about. I mean, my most famous story was this, was the first Sunday we opened up this church and somebody came in, sat down in the seat somebody else came in and told them to move because that was their seat and they're like i'm like how can it be your seat it's a first sunday in our new church they had counted back the rows in the old church and where they sat in the old church and worked out that the third row back and the second seat on the left in the old church was their seat in this church and so the person had to move now we wouldn't do that now do you know what i mean we'd tell the person who said that's my seat they say go and get another one you know <laughs> preferably in another church no we wouldn't do that we wouldn't do that we would only think it see these are the things these are the things that are working you see i'm, I'm just a true example but that's it so we, we don't come to this point where we're like you know we associate with everybody uh, and that's what, that's what Paul does here. He says, I read this last week as I tied in. I thought, how we walk with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the, bro the, with the great. How true is that? What a great quote. That's what Jesus did, didn't it? He says, what his church should do. How we walk with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the great. That might mean Liverpool supporters sitting with Manchester United supporters. Okay, no, okay, no worries. And I... He says, and the result here is this, is they found themselves in relationship with each other through the church. And you see, Paul declares through all of this, the six things that we just read actually, that we resist our natural human instinct to do the things that we think we should do, but to do the higher thing, because it's, it's what Christ calls us to do. And he uses this example, but he uses the mercy of God as, as an example. And he says, the mercy of God towards us calls us to bless our enemies, sympathize with others, and practice humility. But why? He gives a reason. The mercy of God. The cross of Christ. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians and Colossians, he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ooh. If he just says forgive... We'd be like, well, I'm not forgiving them. But he bases it on the reason that God has forgiven us. So I have no right not to forgive anybody because God has forgiven me. And so that's the foundation of this coming together. 
You see, in Paul, through all of this, the response is this. The Christian response to being wronged is to keep doing the right thing. Oh, what a challenge that is. How tough is that? He says, when we've been wronged and we want our lash out, and when we want to do something that hurts a person that's hurt us, so they feel what we feel, actually, we're not to do that. We're to keep doing the right thing. It's what Christ Jesus has called us to do. But he moves on because he says we've got to live at peace with each other. And, and that can be hard. But he gives us a reason there because he says, never let yourself be the reason for an unpeaceful relationship with another person. And simply all he's doing here was throwing it all back on me. It's my responsibility to live at peace. Yeah. Even though you get on my nerves, and I'm not pointing at I'm not pointing at anybody. <laughs> but now you get on my nerves. It says my responsibility is to live at peace with you. You might do things that irritate me, and some of you do, like, you know, but it says my responsibility is to live at peace with you. My responsibility. Because it says there, as far as it depends on you. That's in the Bible. That's in Romans here. And you see, when it's in the Bible there, it says, that's my response. As far as it depends on you. And that's one of those bits in the Bible you're like, I wish that wasn't there. Because the responsibility then falls upon me. As far as it depends on me. So I have to sometimes do the things that I don't want to do. Those things that I look at and say I have to be forgiving and loving and helpful and supportive. But so do you as well. Because as far as it depends on you, you've got to live at peace then. Because Paul gives that. He actually gives two clear conditions. He says that so far as it depends on you. But he says, if possible, have you exhausted every possibility? Have you exhausted your church? Go, is what going so well here there is a sense of unity that brings a sense of peace it starts with the amazing oversight we have here in the church without me but the other boys that's how it starts because they, they, they exhibit and demonstrate a peace and a unity that flows down to the church it's not accidental it's not something that always just happened it's something that is worked upon so because we do it then we encourage the church to do it. Because if we didn't do it, and we tried to help you with some of the stuff that was going on, that you'd fallen out with people and there's a bit of disunity, you could point the finger at us and say, for sure, look at you and Jackie McCoubrey, you don't get on. Me and Jackie do get on. <laughs> but you would look at it and point the finger and say, look at you two, you don't get on. Nobody could do that here. Why? Because for us to do what we do here in church, we keep that as foundational. We keep that as central. It's practical in what we do. I picked on Jackie because nobody could ever fall out with Jackie, could they? No, I mean, that's what I picked on. But he's giving us the responsibility. What does it require for us to live this way? Sometimes we have to admit our wrongs. Sometimes we have to apologise. Not getting a lot of amens here. Sometimes we have to own our mistakes. Sometimes it's up to us to go and make things right. Sometimes it's up to us to forgive. Never seen so many stony faces and <laughs> I've preached a sermon ever. But listen, that, that's what we have to do, isn't it? Says so this is where the idea of so far as it depends on you comes into practice. 
See, what gets in the way, and gets in the way for me, my own ego, my pride, my desires, my prejudice. When people think I'm, people think I'm wrong. Even if I am wrong, I'm not going to tell them I'm wrong. He says, why would I do that? Do you know what I mean? I'm going to hold fast and be stubborn here and dig in. And I could be very stubborn. He says, you've already got to ask my wife. I could be very stubborn. But actually, when Paul writes these words to do with the do-nots, he's melting that stubbornness. He's actually coming and he's pouring that peace and that unity out, saying, this is what works as church. Taking those six do-nots and doing the opposite of them. See, when it comes to blessing our enemies or when it comes to blessing those people we don't like, he says, I read this, I thought this was quite good practically, but may help us tonight, may help somebody tonight. How to bless them, speak well of them, they are. Speak respectfully to them, you are. Speak kindly over them, I hope. And the final one, speak prayerfully about them, Father, please. That's how you bless others. How you bless others that sometimes get on your nerves, irritate those you can't live at peace with. This is the practical outworking of what it means to be a follower of God. But this is important as well because the way we behave reveals something. The main reasons we should do this, sorry, is the first one is this. The way we behave reveals something of the way that God is. What an incredible statement that is. We are forgiving because God is forgiving. We are loving because God is loving. Now that's a massive challenge and a massive responsibility. But, but we're not a Christian, a follower of God for any other reason. We reveal something of God in the way that we behave and the way that we act. He says we're not called in a sense to, to bring down that fiery conviction on our enemies. But we are called to be relentlessly kind to them. That, that in a sense, hopefully, that will be something that reaches them and touches them and helps them. But it also does this, the second thing, and for my time, it says it also reveals that our hearts are satisfied with God. Paul quotes, and I don't have the time to go through all of this tonight. Paul quotes from an Old Testament passage from Deuteronomy 32, verse 35, to show that God has always declared his intention uh, to take vengeance on those who wrong others. A desire for justice for ourselves and those we care about is actually not wrong. It's not wrong. It's actually not wrong to, to do that, to allow people to continually walk over you and do those things. But what you do is this. You take those and you put them in the hands of God. That's what you have to do. That's an easier thing to do than, in a sense, becoming bitter and becoming unforgiving against the people that you feel have hurt you and stuff you take those things and you put them in the hands of God not in a violent aggressive way that you fall out with somebody and say God will have vengeance on you <laughs> now listen some people do that and I've seen people do that he says God will take my revenge for me well hold on a second you might not be right they might not be right and sometimes when there's a bit of conflict, there's a middle ground and stuff. So we mustn't use it as a weapon either. You know, it's his own right God will take revenge on you and something happens and then you think, well, that's God dealing with you. That, that's not the way he's talking about here. He says we're melted by the harmony, by the peace, by the unity here. It, Paul's telling us some of the things that we're not to do. Uh, and the truth is this, is that God executes justice for every sin that's committed, including ours, including ours, not just yours, but mine as well. 
Jesus Christ went to the cross, not just for everything you've done wrong, but everything I've done wrong as well. So all the fingers, and I point at everybody else, there's fingers pointing back at me. And God executes a justice through his son, Jesus Christ, for all sin, for all of it. And so that's not what gives us the right, that actually God's anger was poured out on Jesus on the cross, not just for what you had done wrong, but for what I'd done wrong as well. And so none of us got what we deserved because Jesus took everything that we deserved. Uh, and so those who refuse to receive that, in a sense, they'll suffer the consequences of that because they hold on to that unforgiveness, that bitterness in their life that says, you know, because he's done that for me, then I have to do that for others. You see, whether we like it or not, and this is the title, and as has come to finish of a few minutes, this is the title uh, of who we all are tonight. This is our identity tonight as we look at this and we bring it to a conclusion. It says, we are the disciples of him who died for his enemies. That's who we are. It says, we are the disciples of him who died for his enemy. Those people who have hurt you and wronged you and done all that stuff upon you and stuff. As hard as it is for getting a head round it, uh, I said, and they are enemies. Jesus Christ was the one who went to the cross, not just for the people who loved him or worshipped him, but for those who were his enemies as well. He went for everybody. That's a tough thing. That's a challenging thing. But we are the disciples of him who died for his enemies. He went to the cross for each and every one of them. And this massive justification that happened, that Christ paid what needed to be paid, not just for the good people, not just for the people who maybe were a little bit over the line and just needed that short step to get over. Everybody, those miles and miles away from him, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Christ Jesus went to the cross because he was the one who died for his enemies. We're the followers, the disciples of him who died for his enemies. And it tells us here, he says, actually, in the final thought, he says, you know, be the overcomers. He says, be the conquerors. But you can only do it in Christ Jesus. You'd only do it in the foundation of him in your life, living out the do-nots that it taught there. So I read that, I thought to myself, it just made me realise I have no strength and no power, no ability in myself to do any of those. Because I can be proud and I can be conceited and I can look to take revenge and sometimes I can repay. Let's be honest, if somebody does something bad to me, I want to do something bad to them. And I'm your pastor. And let's be honest here, and before you look at it and say, well, you shouldn't be a pastor, listen, we're all the same. We're just, I'm just admitting it. But the reality is, is Christ Jesus gives us what we need to, to not do those things that are there, but to do what he's called us to do, which is to live a higher way. Because I want to associate myself and be identified as one. I'm a disciple of him who died for his enemies. And so that's a foundation of my life when it comes to how you deal with people that overcome evil by doing good. That's a challenge. That's a, that's a tough thing to do. But being a follower of Christ, it's a tough thing to do. 
There's nothing easy about it, and you will be thinking, I know. But listen, he gives us everything that we need when we face the difficulties and the challenges and the things that we're going through in our life. And we hold on to that tonight. My time is up, so I don't want to say anymore. So I want to leave that where it is, because we are challenged. And before the team come up, I just wonder if we'll just take a moment to pray. Just before we come and we finish, we're just, with every head bowed, every eyes closed, because some of this stuff tonight will have left a challenge upon the hearts and the lives of people in here. And you may be thinking or have your mind be stirring, your heart challenged. Because maybe you've got to let something go. Maybe it might be that unforgiveness towards somebody, that bitterness towards somebody. It might be some hurt that you have and you're just simply releasing it into God's hands. Because we can't do it in our own strength. We can only do it with the strength and the power and the grace that God gives us. I don't have any, I don't have six principles here of how you deal with your enemies. I just have the name of Jesus Christ. And you see, when I put that out over the circumstances and the situations and the people that you are thinking about now, the hurts that you are holding on to, Jesus is the one that melts away the unforgiveness. He takes away the bitterness. He, he creates the harmony and the peace and the unity because that's what it means to be a follower of God. That's what it means to belong to him tonight. And this is a very challenging word. And if you're th thinking tonight, oh, I wish you hadn't preached that. I'm glad he's gone on holiday for three weeks. Listen, that's the word for tonight. To keep the peace and the unity. To do what God is doing in our life. To change us and challenge us. To do the things that we're supposed to do. And avoid the do-nots. Father, as we come before you tonight, we thank you for your word. Even though it is a challenging word, Father God, we come tonight, we take upon that challenge. Because, Father, we want to be known as your disciples, uh, as disciples of him who died for his enemies. And, Father, we have no reason then to point to accuse, to hold on to, because you have forgiven us tonight. And Father, as hard as it may be, we have to forgive others. Because Father, that's what it means to follow you and live for you. But Father, because that's not easy, we can't do it in our own strength. Would you give everybody who needs it, Lord, tonight, that power, that strength, that ability, everything that they need to do what needs to be done. If it's a phone call that needs to be made, Father. And Father, Linda, Father, we do this in a practical sense. It's a conversation that needs to be had. God, we want to be known as the disciples of him who died for his enemies. We want to be known as that. Help us, Lord, with this challenge tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.